0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the F- Hall of Fame panel discussion. What a beautiful setting for utterly horrible weather. I'm so sorry, um, it's not fo- my fault, uh, even though I've already had that uh, accusation hurtled at me. Apparently I brought it back from Monaco. I thought it did quite well at Monaco, but apparently it wasn't the weather required here so I apologise but it's not as bad as it was at the Nürburgring for anybody that saw that so we're okay. Um, Now few sports create rivalries quite like motorsport we all know that we've all seen them we've all loved them as we've gone through the years of motorsport. Um, Yes okay in football you might get you know your local derbies your cities versus your United's Um, and certainly in things like boxing and rugby you get your Wales versus England but Nothing quite lives up, I think, to the rivalries that you get within motorsport. If you think back to them, some of the most passionate, occasionally lethal combinations that we've seen from Senna and Prost to nowadays with Hamilton and Rosberg, um, there have been some amazing rivalries. And they run really through the, the DNA of motorsport, don't they? Creating heroes and villains, winners and losers, and crucially... A sense that although racing, for most of us, yes, it's a form of entertainment, but for the drivers, for the riders, it's a whole lot more important than that. So to explore this further today, uh, we're lucky enough to have a fantastic panel arranged for us. I'll we'll do some question and answers at the end, so get your thinking caps on uh, and decide what you'd like to ask these fantastic gentlemen. Uh, but without further ado, let me introduce them. They don't really need any introduction at all. But I'll do it anyway because that's what I'm here to do. Uh, So we'll start with Derek Bell. Of course, five-time Le Mans winner, two-time World Sports Car Champion. And next to him... Tom Christensen, known as Mr. Le Mans. He won it so many times, we've all lost count. Um, but he's pretty good at it. Let me just go there. Uh, next to him, we have Darren Turner, former McLaren Formula One test driver and current Aston Martin Works driver as well. And a motorsport magazine columnist, of course. And... Um, Matt Oxley, is next to him, our Motorsport Magazine's bike columnist, um, who's also had the distinction of competing at the Isle of Man TT. So we know when it comes to nerves of steel, box ticked. Uh, Jackie Oliver follows, uh, former uh, Formula One driver, founder of the Arrows Formula One team, Anne Le Mans and Can-Am winner. And then we also have Damien Smith, who is the editor of Motorsport Magazine and here to try and keep the peace because my hands are too small to find um, So that takes us to the panel discussion. Um, and Derek, maybe we can start with you because you're sat next to me, so it's convenient. Um, but you're probably more famous <coughs> for your partnership with um, Jackie X um, than any particular other rivalries. But um, was there any rivalry within that partnership, really, when it came down to it?
1: Uh, oh, they can hear me. I was waiting for you to pass the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> Anyway, um, excuse me, Um, well, it's a strange thing because I don't believe we had great rivalries in those days. We were trying to beat the other cars. I think in Tom's era and probably Darren's, they're they're chasing their teammates to try and prove they're better. In our day, we just wanted to win the race and we did it the best way possible by having two really good drivers. I was always in awe of Jackie Ickx. I felt he was somebody that should have been Formula One world champion, most incredibly talented driver and so quick and so, uh, so capable of turning in fast laps and great drives that I had to drive with him. When I drove with him, I seemed to win a lot of races, which meant he was really good. But I didn't make any mistakes and therefore we won races. But there was a, there was a bit of competition, but it, I never let it show. And. I often, I mean, when there was an art, there'd be an article in the papers in in Europe. It would say X wins at Spa, and I go, "Shit! I'm sure I was in that car." And then underneath, in small print, Derek Bell you know, of, England, of England, of Pagham, England, also was there, you know. And I, I used to detest being in Jackie's shadow, as I called it. So thereafter, we had this sort of personal joke between us, which still exists today, 30 years later. Where he says that you talk, we talk to each other about being in his shadow. But in, in the beginning, I was, but I, in all honesty, I, I think I developed into a better driver being with him, learned a lot from him, and ended up being as quick as he was. And we ended up with some great victories. So, you know, we had, a, we had obviously there was a, a rivalry, but it wasn't a personal thing that I got to dislike the other person or would wreck the car. I mean, the whole point is to get to the car at the end of the race without hitting things. And I have a distinct feeling these days, because of the sort of racing that there is, um, that you don't often get to the end of the race because of the rivalries between two cars in the same team. And we saw a few, didn't we, <laughs> you know, at the weekend at, at, you know, at the Nürburgring. So I, I, I know Darren and, and Tom will, f- will, will speak differently, but I'm probably from another era, when gentlemen were gentlemen. And um, I, I enjoyed it, and I'm glad I got through that period, you know, and it was fantastic.
0: Tom? probably the worst question to ask you a gentleman still gentleman
2: (laughs) no I just said I mean it's quite difficult to come after Derek when you give him the questions first so uh, (laughs) you could have sat here
1: but you said I I don't sit next to women you said
2: (laughs) No, but I was... Shoot- no, I was well, don't shoot- let me too close to you, is actually I- what you said. No, I said, you are faster than me off track too. And <laughs> and that's why you're sitting where you are. And obviously, I don't know if you're from a different era. I mean, looking at you, you don't look any older than we do, so I don't think so. <laughs> now
1: your eyes are going, that's the oh, only problem
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I think, uh, obviously... Um, Racing in general, I mean, there has been come, there's so many classes, there's so many more racing drivers nowadays than there were back then when they were, in a way, I mean, even before, obviously, Derek and, and, and Jackie's and uh, and Jackie Oliver's time, it was a lot about, um, um, let's say, they were pioneers in a way uh, before that. And nowadays you have rivalry already from karting, uh, a lot uh, trying to break in and, and to capture some help and sponsorship to go through the sport so nowadays i think you, you you already at a very young age you know you have to deliver and that pressure you see you you see on people and that's of course a little bit of modern time and it's a little bit sad obviously because you don't see people uh, maybe enjoy it as much today uh, as they actually do because um, you you have to do it to deliver at a very very you should back then too but there were pioneers and that was very much the the, the early part of racing which very much is the heritage of our sport so we have to take care that people enjoy and when they enjoy you can go back to something like uh, I mean speaking with Darren about Nürburgring you want to have circuits which are still giving something. You want to see it from the spectators. You don't want to see huge runoff or asphalt runoff where people can just go wherever they want. Uh, there's a lot of things where we have to see. Maybe we have stepped a little bit too far. Obviously, I'd take it a bit broader, but basically into rivalry today, everyone is a rival entering the gate of any, any circuit. Um, we do it in the, in the interest of, 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 of the sport and maybe that needs to shine a little bit more through. The media is part of it as well. The media asks the questions faster than ever before. You have already seen it running uh, three or four times and being discussed by experts uh, when there has been something of an on-track incidence. Uh So there's a lot more pressure uh, going on than probably there were earlier, at least or even earlier in my career. I could still sometimes get away with, I don't know what happened uh, on that part. Nobody can get away with anything today on the, on the track. And that creates controversy, uh, even though that it might not be there when the people leave the gate at the circuit and go back to the hotel where they have to stay and share dinner. I remember a, a great rivalry, as, as you said. I didn't know that was exactly the talk today, but I had a great rivalry with Ricard Rydell It's a sweet driving in Japan for Formula Three back in 1993. We had the opening race of the Formula Three championship. We were both driving for Team Tom's, and um, that first race we were not very uh, friendly to each other. But we had to share a three and a half hour drive back in a Toyota Corolla, (laughs) and we didn't talk from Suzuka until Nagoya. And Nagoya we had to talk because I was driving the car and I really want to get into the Dunkin' Donuts. We always stopped, we always stopped at Dunkin' Donuts, but I thought I, I, I had won the race today, but I had been naughty to him, he was naughty to me, but if I don't go into Dunkin' Donuts, that's gonna, that's gonna kill our relationship a lot more than just a single race. And uh, we did Dunkin' Donuts, and we talked a little bit from there about the incident.
0: Thank goodness. Brilliant. Um,
3: what
0: Tom was saying there about
4: the, uh, uh, the, the rivalries today and how they're built up, basically it's the media, it's your fault. I think that's what he's saying, wasn't it?
0: Are you not classing yourself as now the media?
4: I'm, I'm an editor. It's different. It's different. <laughs> but, um, one we can
0: the... take responsibility a little bit because we have to react, but we only react to what people want.
4: But there's a different pressure on racing drivers today, I think, in terms of the, uh, the focus they're under and social media and, and all that kind of thing. But one of the interesting things, we've got a very sports car-heavy panel here, certainly influenced by uh, you know, the, the amount of miles they've done at Le Mans, etc. Um, Darren, um, the rivalries that you face today, I guess uh, it's, it's the teams, isn't it? It's the manufacturers you're against with Aston Martin. Driver-wise, I think... Um, sports car racing is the closest in modern motorsport to how it used to be in the past, that you all get on pretty well most of the time. Would that be fair?
3: Yeah, I think it is. I think, um, you know, as a, as a driver for a manufacturer, you're obviously there to do a job for that manufacturer. So uh, all my times that I've been at Le Mans, uh, Corvette has always been our main rivalry. So when it was the Ferrari... We were in the Ferraris to begin with, and then the Aston Martin, uh, Corvette's been the mainstay of that sort of class, and they've always been the guys that we're trying to beat. And there's Porsche and the Ferrari, and, and sometimes it's right now Ferrari on a bit of a roll, so you know they're our main competition. But if it always goes back to it's America versus Britain, it's Aston against Corvette, and uh, um, and that's meant that we've had a lot of fun over the years as well, and, and I enjoy that rivalry. I think if you um, if you don't enjoy the competition. Then And you just want to turn up and get a trophy Then that's not the best way of going racing So uh, the fact that they've always been there Been very strong and kept us on our toes And sometimes we've beaten them and sometimes they've beaten us It just means that every time you go back You just know what you're up against really yeah. Which is it's going to be a big fight
4: And this weekend you're, you're going to Le Mans for the test day um, Ahead of the, the big race later in the month um, and you have got Ford coming back this time. There's been quite a bit of controversy about Ford's GT, which is it is it a, a, a true GT in the sense that the Aston is? And um, there's a, there's a little bit of bit of early niggle there, isn't
3: there? Um, I'll let you know after Le Mans yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if uh, if it was a, a true sports car or not. Um, I think that the, it's the way that the class is going to go. Uh, effectively, the Ferrari, the Porsche, the Aston Martin, they're all production road cars, and the Ford is. Um, I'm polite saying it's a homologation special, um, but it's low volume, carbon chassis. Nothing else in the class is, is carbon chassis. Um, and, you know, they've built... I don't even know if they've got the road car yet. I think they've got a few of them, but the race cars are out there now, and um, that's going to be, obviously, who we're up against. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because they've got the, the balance of performance in our, in our class, and our championship. Um, hopefully, the ACO have done a great job and, and made sure that all the cars that are out there, the Corvette, the Ferrari, the Aston Martin and the Ford are all on a fairly level playing field because then at least the racing's good and then we can get some wheel-to-wheel action, which is, you know, what we want to have. Yeah. But going on the rivalry with teammates and that, um, I've seen different cars in over at Le Mans and you think, right, they've put the fastest guns all in one car and you know that's the car that's going to crash. Mm. So, um, it, because the ego... You know, they're fast, they've got their egos, and uh, every time the next guy goes out, he's going to want to go quicker than the guy before. And, and you can pretty much guarantee that that one will be the one that goes off. Um, and, you know, I think we have a nice balanced team within Aston. We've got fast guys spread across the ones. You've got more experienced guys, and that's me now. I've, I've slowly developed into being the old boy in the team. Um, and you've got the... I know, oh, it's, it's like quite a bit of great, yeah. But it's not going there just yet, so I'm, I'm happy here. Um... And so I, I think when you're a team boss at Le Mans, you need to put your your guys spread them out to make sure you take away that inner team rivalry. Uh, you want to beat your other car, but you you need to be working together to make that to make that possible. But um, certainly, if you put hey, all the quick guys in one guy in one car, it's it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, but it used
1: to be. Correct? What I don't think it was in our era a, a recipe for disaster. Putting the fast guys. No. I think it was good having them in, in pairs, because I, th- I believe what happens now, and I saw, it, I saw it with the Bentley team, which I was involved with back in the you know, beginning of the 2000s, and we had a pretty cha- you know, different variety of drivers in, no, no names mentioned. But I know you would had a star driver, and the, the, he was always out doing the fast laps, and the others were always trying to do the laps, and he could do them easily. And the other guys are trying to do his time, so they're stressing the car. And I've always felt you want paired drivers, so they're neither of them. They're both driving at the same pace, so they're stressing the car the same amount. If you've got a star driver and then two others, and it's got worse with three, of course, because you're never going to get three drivers the same in reality. And you're right, nobody puts three drivers the same type in a car, but in fact... That car generally should not go off the road because you've got the three best drivers and they're going to be competing to beat everybody else and they will. And they can; Those three can just take the car out in the lead. I think it happened with you, Tom. You had some fabulous teammates and I think that you, you could get out in the lead and maintain that lead. As I say, it worries me when you're out trying to get the, the less experienced driver to do the same times as the quicker one who's pacing himself at a high speed but perhaps he's there's always a bit more there, like he could go a tenth or two quicker if he really, really had to, but he's going to stress the car. But you've got the other guy who's stressing himself like that and is stressing the car to get within two seconds. That's all I would say, and I've said that to the Bentley drivers at a briefing. I said, it's a team effort. You've, all three have, you've got to allow all three to try and get up to speed, and I'm not sure it's allowed to happen. And who was I talking to at the weekend? Um, and he said he'd only done three laps in practice, you know, at the Nürburgring in two days because of the crappy conditions and the number of cars. That isn't really very helpful because when he gets out there, he's still learning the track, if you like, or learning the car and the conditions, and he's going to be stressing it. I think you know, it's great when you can get in a rhythm. You know that when you drove with two drivers or you drive on your own, you get in a really good rhythm and a high speed rhythm. And I think it matters to have parity in the drivers. But I know what
2: you're saying, but I feel that. Maybe. Maybe that's just luck. I'd never th- thought about that. Maybe that has been... Just because you're always the best, <laughs> you No, no. But, I mean, uh, I drove for Bentley as well, if yeah. you remember. Uh, but I think it's, um, it's 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 very much important that the three drivers, which are today, that you get on. Yeah. That you, you get on. And, and uh, uh, very early in, in uh, with me at Le Mans, from the first time I was there with Alboreto and Johansson, uh, we made sure that we leave the gate together and we drive into the circuit together. And this I've done with all my mm. crews whenever I have dri- driven. That means that it, it's bad to take problems to bed. There's always going to be things, but when you go back, it's, uh, it's obviously uh, nice to have at least... Um, maybe not necessarily stop at Dunkin' Donuts but at least going back to the hotel you will discuss what happened during the during the day. But you're there to win the race. You're there
1: as teammates it's called a team event you know, and you're trying to win it so all three of you need to be on the same sheet. Perhaps that's Mm why you need to get into a really bloody good team
3: I was just thinking about
1: the uh... What did I say? Sorry. We'll have to help you
3: get in a really good team so you can do what we're talking about. The comment there about not taking your problems to bed, that sounds more like the husband and wife drama so yeah. <laughs> come on we all know
0: team relationships and driver relationships are pretty much like a second marriage anyway you're closer to them you spend more time with them and you have more domestics maybe
3: no, no I, I mean I was really lucky. I've, uh, my teammate's now gone to Ford, so but Stefan Mucker was uh, <laughs> I was with like for leave you, don't yeah they. yeah. <laughs> they are. It's a bit of a divorce I think the arrangement's
0: going More flexible.
3: Um, and you know we travelled around the world for five years together, and probably did spend as much time with him as I do with my family. So um, if you can't get on, yeah. then it, it becomes difficult. The only thing that we, we had to get sorted out quite early on was the hire car situation because he's horrendous uh, on the road. So uh, <laughs> uh, so a, a couple of races in, I said I, I cannot go in a hire car with you. I needed my own hire car. So uh, after that, it was I, I did all the driving. But, yeah, it wasn't a nice experience.
0: Um, Jackie, let's bring you in, if Sorry, you don't yeah. mind. Um, because it, we've t- spoken about what it's like from a driver's point of view, but um, I remember speaking to Gary Anderson once, and he said when he had warring drivers working for him, he used to just lock them in the back of a van until they'd sorted out their differences. Um, you know, what did you do in the Ares team if you did have problems with drivers or... Strops, egos, was, was there anything like that?
5: Well, I'm uh, sort of uh, actor turned director, didn't I? I mean, I was uh, uh, in front of the camera and then behind, so to speak. Uh, so I've had experiences in both regards. The, the thing I've noticed is, is that sportsmen, there are footballers and rugby players, and they're team players. Golfers and racing drivers are not team players. They're totally self-centred. Uh, And the the best ones are the ones that are very competitive. Uh, So that's what you're dealing with. And every team has to deal with those individuals uh, that want to win. And to make matters worse, you can't uh, get a driver to admit, if he's got exactly the same car as his teammate, why he's slower. So that tends to lead to all sorts of problems. Um, and as uh, Tom mentioned, you know, now with cameras and telemetry, uh, the drivers have got nowhere to hide. In my day, we used to have lots of excuses, and there was no way they were going to find out whether I was telling the truth or not, because there was no telemetry. So the game has changed a little bit, hasn't it? Um, But I've had two experiences. One of Team Rivalry when I was driving Can-Am with Shadow in the United States, and I had the team to myself uh, as a single car team for many years. But as it the expanded, uh, Don Nichols of Shadow got uh, George Former, an American driver, to drive in the second car. Uh, and it was the year that I won the championship in 73. Now, the trouble is with Americans and English drivers is that um, I had what's called sarcasm. Um, and Americans never get sarcasm. Um, and I used to be a bit sarcastic with, uh, with George um, when he was behind me, or he didn't win, and he started to complain. I won both races, in the car and also in the garage, because he was a big chap. So when I said some sarcastic things to him, I, I had to run, because he was going to put one on me. Eh? Um, and of course being a lot smaller I could run quicker than him and it turned out I could drive quicker than him in the car as well and I won the championship and he never got over it George even when I see him now he never got over it so the worst thing you can do with competitive people uh, is beat them <laughs> and
4: you, uh, you never remind him Jackie when you do see him I'm sure well
5: that's the problem with sarcasm isn't it really you can't let it go can you <laughs> From a team owner's point of view, I had a similar experience uh, with when Derek Warwick and Eddie Cheever drove for me in the BMW cars, um, BMW Turbo cars, and we were very competitive at the high-speed circuits, uh, and at Monza particularly, and the only teams we couldn't beat at uh, Monza were the Ferraris. So we were running uh, third and fourth in the race, pit stops coming up, we'd already discussed that because at a high speed and no speed limits in the pit lane then, we had to bring one car in after the other. Um, And we agreed that what we should do is whoever was in front of the other uh, would be the first to come in. So when it came round to the pit stops, and there was rivalry between Eddie and uh, Derek, when it came to that, um, we decided to uh, pull Derek in first, And the engineers were talking to each other. And then they said, well, Derek, we're not going to bring Derek in. Now, let's bring Eddie in. Right? So on the radio, I heard the engineer say, Eddie, pit. No, he said. <laughs> so I got on the phone. I said, Eddie, we've changed it. You've got a pit. Silence. So I thought, right, now what do we do? Call Derek in. So we called Derek in. Who came into the pits first with Derek behind him? Eddie. (laughs) That is the way drivers think. They're always looking for the advantage. And the reasons why they do this thing is because they always think, maybe I can't beat that guy that's driving with me because in my heart of hearts, I'm not going to say so, I know he's better than me. And that's what caused the rivalry. And I think that is going on from my analysis of it. I think that's what's going on with Lewis and, uh, and Rosberg. I think Rosberg probably knows that that tenth of a second, that extra energy that Lewis makes, he probably knows deep down that sooner or later Lewis is going to beat him. And I think that came out when if anybody watched the TV coverage, beautifully done uh, by an analysis of what was going on at the start of the uh, Chinese Grand Prix, I think it was, wasn't it? Barcelona, Barcelona. Um, with the controllers. Um, There you had a situation where you had two different approaches to the drivers. Rosberg used his energy recovery system at the start, but had to do energy recovery, and Lewis didn't, and Lewis went for the gap. I would think before looking at that on-board coverage, it looked to me as though uh, Rosberg was fiddling down on his steering wheel making sure he could get energy recovery going for the straight so to keep Lewis behind him and then when he looked in the mirror he saw Lewis right there what did he do? Moved over on him and that, I don't think you can get that you've got that attitude between teammates and between race drivers uh, Lewis, if there's a gap he's going to go for it and uh, the team lost out
4: that rivalry between them and that, that incident in Barcelona, it seemed to me uh, maybe the panel would agree or disagree but it was inevitable that that was going to happen because in that scenario uh, you know, Nico was in the wrong mode basically. Lewis saw the gap and he had to go for it and Nico, with the rivalry they've had over the last three years, that niggly kind of petty stuff that's gone on, he, he couldn't let Lewis get by. He had to defend and there was, there was only going to be one outcome uh, in that. I mean, I don't know if that is that Is that how uh, other people saw it, or could it have been avoided?
3: Anyone?
5: (laughs) David, did you not watch the coverage on the TV?
3: Yeah, I I saw it. uh, I I just think it's one of those moves 50-50. Lewis did what he had to do, go for a move. Nico did what he had to do, which is defend. But maybe Lewis had the option of going to the left rather than the right on the door that shut him, so... I mean, it all happens really quick and it's very easy to sit back and analyse these things after and see, like you said, like 100 replays and uh, look at all the data and everything. These guys are making their decisions in fractions of seconds and it's not always going to be the right decision. So um, I think both drivers did exactly what they should have been doing at that time and uh, ultimately they came together. But it is going to happen, isn't it? If you've got two guys that are fighting for a world championship... And it's not like one driver is number one and one guy is number two. They're both equals in that team. Um, why should they not do what they have to do to, to beat their teammate? And uh, on that occasion, it was a, it was a case it was, it was what it was going to be. It was going to be an accident, wasn't it? So um, I certainly don't look at it and go, that was 100% Lewis's fault or that was 100% Nico's fault. I thought they just did exactly what they should be doing in, the, in that scenario, really. So. Um,
5: what about the calculating driver? Because if you remember the uh, Senna Prost incident, um, and I think he was at Japan, um, whether it was true or not, I don't know, but they were on the front row together. I think they were both in McLaren team, if I remember rightly.
4: McLaren and Ferrari,
5: 1990. And, and they, whoever won the race was going to win the championship. And they took each other out on the, uh, on the first corner. I suppose that is rivalry, isn't it? Um, I'm going to get into the corner first. And if you take me out, it's your loss because I've got more points than you. Yeah. So um, I think that's, what, that's the animal you're dealing with. Um, is it more prevalent now amongst drivers? I'm not sure about that. Uh, the only thing is, I mean, I drove with Jimmy Clark and Jackie Stewart and Graham Hill... But I was a younger driver then, and I didn't see it. Uh, it only seemed to start to happen um, in the um, in the late 70s. So maybe it's a new phenomenon.
4: What, Matt, would you agree with that from the, the two-wheeled world that there was a change yeah? I think that time? Ev- <clears throat> everything that's been said about
6: cars kind of fits across to bikes, and um, and then a little bit more probably. And I would agree. Yeah, I, I think. Um, Halewood and Agostini back in the sixties; they were huge rivals, but you know they managed to still go out for a beer in the evening and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think, yeah, as the seventies came on, I think there's more money comes in, as more media comes in, uh, the pressure goes up and the egos go up and so on. And, and yeah, a lot of, uh, so, and I think it has got worse and worse. And I think you know especially the last couple of years in MotoGP we've had a lot of collisions and that kind of stuff and basically the the problem is the bikes are all now so similar you know um they're on the same tires they're now using the same ECUs um so the drivers are looking the riders sorry they're not looking for a tenth they're looking for hundreds and thousands and, and and to actually make a pass on somebody Is incredibly different, difficult because everybody's coming out. Everybody's got traction control, so they're all coming out at the corner at the same speed, and they've all got about the same horsepower. So it's very difficult to draft and get by. So basically, they've got to come by on the brakes, and the guy's going to try and shut the door. And you know, if the guy really wants to get past, he's going to know I'm still coming. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. And and then bang, there you go. And uh, whose fault is it? Just like you said, it's it's both their fault. You know. Either of them could have pulled out of the situation, but they decided not to. And, and I think a lot of that is, and I'm not so sure. I'm not. I don't know a lot about car racing. Whether that is the same in cars, but I think the you know the machinery is so close now. So, you know, 20 years ago, bikes races were being run won by 30 seconds, and by now they're all run won by a tenth and two tenths and stuff. And so, I, I just think it's kind of inevitable that you're going to get more of that kind of stuff. You know. Um, more collisions, more... Um, you know, l- luckily the tracks are very safe now in, in Motor Grand Prix, so they can all... And I think that's another reason. As Casey Stoner, who won the title in 2007 and 2010. 11, um, you know, he says that it's got too safe now, so the riders are happy to take risks that they wouldn't have been happy to do sort of 20, 30 years ago when they might have gone into a barrier or whatever. Now they think, well, the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to break a collarbone or he's going to break a collarbone. So here we go, you know. Um, so there's all those sort of things about with the safety, you know, actually by getting so going so far with the safety, you're actually encouraging people to ride more dangerously. So there's a, it's quite an interesting kind of point that we've reached, I think. Yeah.
0: Is that the same... For, for you, TK, and what you see, because you steward in F1, um, and, and you know, you're part of the FIA with them, but you've also done Le Mans. So can you echo the same things with both of those?
2: Yeah, uh, I, think, um, I think I can. When you look at, um, let's say, like a typical really junior class where you have all the talent from all around the world, it's, they are more or less coming through Formula 3. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we, I think, where we really have to keep an eye on these, and what we are keeping an eye on uh, these days, very much so. You need the respect from, an, let's say, an impact or accident seems to be a, a lot uh, less than maybe the, the rivalry itself. So basically, you, when you see three cars approaching a corner, um, nowadays you... You know they're all going to go for the corner because they can all go wide and probably escape the corner. Whereas you, when you see barriers, or it's a bit different.
0: And um, if you think about your sports and the great rivalries that have been there, I just wonder what you would put at the top of the list if you look at those rivalries. Don't maybe we start with you and who do you think were the couple, the warring couple, the couple that kind of bore everything together?
1: In, in what I, where I was? Goodness, I don't know. Because, I mean, I, I was lucky to be in the best team most of the time, and um, so the warring went on behind us. I, I mean, you know, I was a, the people I drove with, when you think about it, you know, I, in my early days with Jackie, I'm talking about for, sports cars now. I mean, I did do a, bit of form, a lot of Formula 2 and a bit of Formula 1, but not as much as Jackie did. But, <clears throat> I mean... You know, he he raced with Pedro Rodriguez, and I raced with Joe Siffert, and they were two very capable, very—I mean, the most amazing sports car drivers of that era. So I had respect for them because I was coming into it fresh, and he he had little—he had less respect for any of us. But um, <laughs> you are. <laughs> He didn't pick that up, did you? No, he, I mean, but we were both young. That's,
0: that's why we set you so far we'll apart. Try, yeah. We knew it would come to okay. 50 Cuffs on stage. I said he had less together. respect
1: for anybody, but no, don't worry. Um, no, But he and I, we were young guys joining the Porsche team, and he had been with John Wire with the GT40, so he had got an experience with John Wire, but he was still very young. And when you go in with these older drivers that have, are so damn good and you're trying to just catch up with them, you have a lot of respect for them. And you knew there was, I mean, the major battle was between Joe and Joe Sifford and Pedro Rodriguez. When we got up to, you know, the next era, which was the Group C stuff, um, I mean, there wasn't quite so much. Again, we were starting to get back to manufacturers. And during that era, Porsche really dominated it. But we had Jaguar. We had, um, obviously, we were Porsche. We had Porsche, Jaguar. We had Toyota coming in. We had Nissan play around. And then Mercedes. I mean, and Mazda came in and won Le Mans as well in there. So there was a lot of battles going on, but there wasn't that sort of needle that I don't think. I mean, we wanted to beat the other cars, and we wanted to win Le Mans again, or come second again, or whatever it was. But it, it was slightly different than I think. And I think you have to remember, which wasn't brought up before. But with sports car, you're not going to say anything. Like, no, sorry. Ollie usually comes up with something that kills me. But no, the pro, one of the problems with sports car is that. We have all sorts of drivers out there. I mean, There was this race this weekend that Darren was in. There were 157 cars in the race at Nürburgring. All right, it's 25 kilometers round. But there were three, four, five drivers with each team, with each car. That's a hell of a lot of people. And there really aren't that many people in, in motor racing that are capable of driving around the Nürburgring in the rain and the sleet and snow in the dark, capably, while there's really quick cars out there. And there's some pretty poor driving going on. In Formula One, generally, you know exactly there are 20 cars out there, or 22. And you know each driver, what he looks like. You know, can tell by his helmet, if you can see it, that is who it is. Or your team is telling you on the radio. So you know what to expect when you come across him. With us in sports cars, it was much more of that dilemma of getting used to the other drivers in the other cars and what move they might do make because they didn't know where the hell they were
2: going.
0: TK, big egos when you're at Le Mans?
2: Um, I would, I would say not. Le Mans is uh, respectful in that sense. That tames uh, a lot of things in in this sense. But obviously, people overdo it, and people have overdone it uh, over the years. I have just been, as Derek, uh, mentioned, in in very good teams, very good teammates. That has been uh, very fruitful for my focus when I go into uh, into Le Mans over the years, and um, and. Uh, for sure, there has been different uh, teammates I've had. I mean, starting, as you say, you come in with with some very experienced, some respectable teammates like Johansson and uh, Alboreto at my first year. And then I see myself develop over all these years. And at one point, there's younger drivers coming in and being teammates with me. And that obviously has been a fantastic journey. And I don't want to tire you all of that because that's obviously a, a very long speak. but. But just sitting and listening to the others, I would say the the time when I had probably i mean I mentioned Rydell, but I mean the top where I had the probably a tougher uh, rivalry i mean my the, the great team we had uh, obviously for many years was with uh, Capello and Magnish and myself we We had really really a, 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 les le trois musketeers as we called us we are very 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 different personalities, but we get on very well, so that was a very very Gelling and, and positive uh, experience over many years, but I've but sitting here in the UK, I did the BTCC in 2000. And I, I don't think... Uh, we, we passed each other quite some times during that season, but we never t- uh, passed each other without touching, and sometimes uh, we ended up... I think on two occasions I missed my flight going back as I had to go to the stewards with, uh, with this other gentleman. And I don't want to mention name, as you are in England, so... nobody I mean, we
0: don't mind if you wanted no, to No, of, of
2: course him. I don't want to mention... I mean, Jason Plato, he's not here, so why should I, <laughs> why should I mention him? Um, because he, he will be very happy and we have had a few beers over it and he has been very honest about the approaches and at some circuits and uh, I'm just happy I was able to leave England at the final race at Silverstone in the night race uh, and winning the, for West Surrey in the, in the Honda and sort of having the last say even though that he was more higher in the, in the championship. But uh, that was a, a really proper rivalry, uh, you can say.
0: Um- Darren, you must have some great plato Neal stories. I mean, <laughs> it's what legends are made of, isn't it? Uh,
3: yeah, that fight's been going on for some years, hasn't it? So uh, I don't think there's any love loss. Um, I mean, I was lucky enough to be JP's uh, teammate for three years, so when I did touring cars for those three years in, uh, with Sayer, if you're going to have a teammate, he is the best guy to have in touring cars. He knows all the tricks. Uh, and the thing is, he actually taught me more about the sport outside of the car with the business side as uh, as much as uh, what I learnt from him inside the car. But um, a great guy to have as your teammate, but I wouldn't want to be in another team trying to beat him. And I'm sure that's why that sort of conflict between uh, JP and, and Matt Neal has been going on for so many years. They're very different characters. And um, I'm sure JP like, loves the, the idea of winding him up. And any opportunity he can to do it outside of the car, he seems to take that opportunity. Uh, and then on the track, it's it's been quite often I'd be like two or three car lengths behind and I could see it about to start and then you know it's not going to be a little bit of contact there's going to be a lot of contact and I can remember one of the races at Snetterton it lasted five corners before there was an eventual winner out of the two of them and I don't think I think JP on this occasion one came through but you know there's definitely uh, they don't give each other any any inch on the circuit and uh um, I think that's what makes it so exciting to watch when you're watching it on TV and everything else, you're either uh, in the Matt Neal camp or you're in the JP camp and, and that rivalry really actually creates more of an atmosphere for the race and I, from, I think from the spectator side, that's what makes BTC so exciting and, and I think you know, they're now having to be careful because those guys aren't going to be around forever in that championship so hopefully there's going to be some younger guys coming through that have that same sort of charisma that those two guys have that create action on the track and some of the banter that comes after it. Because it is uh, sports cars is, is different in the way that we're not trying to you know, crash each other off the circuit. We do it accidentally. But with, the, with BTCC, it's part of the fun, isn't it? You know, And, and I, I struggled to adapt to it because every time I'd go and do a race, I'd pull a good move, no touching of paint, no wing mirrors, and I'd be like, that was very good. And then the next corner, the guy that I've just spent three <laughs> laps getting past without would just take me out. And I was like, I just don't get this racing. But um, I think if I went back, I'd get it. But at the time I was there, I didn't get it. So, uh, And it is good to watch. I love watching it. But um, you know, I think you need people like JP and, and Matt Neal in the championship just to, to add that extra element of excitement.
0: Matt, I certainly remember when I was doing MotoGP, the wall. The wall came up between Rossi and Lorenzo. I mean, a physical wall in the garage because they just couldn't stand each other. Do you think sport needs that intensity, that rivalry. And certainly with the MotoGP, we've seen it happening through the decades.
6: Yeah, it's it's all part of it. I mean, to me, they're still, um, well, we call them gladiators or whatever, you know. So you're going right back to the beginnings of, well, I guess gladiators wasn't really a sport in in Roman times, but uh, it was something different. But, you know, I, I look at them all as assassins, basically, the guys at the top, you know, that's basically they're all out to get each other and you know if you've raced yourself you know all the moves that you can pull in a car or a bike that you can get away with to um, kind of stuff the other guy and get aw- and, and not be kind of held responsible and, and you know there's a catalog of, of moves you can do and now with Valentino Rossi and and and, and Jorge Lorenzo and Mark Marquez uh, i mean i've been around for 30 years doing this sport and it's the it's either the best or the worst rivalry, depending on which way you want to look at it. And um, But Rossi's career has been defined by these rivalries. His first was Max Piaggi, who And, you know, he would dismantle these guys not only on the track but also off the track. You know, he's the brightest bike racer I've ever known, you know.
4: When, when did that kind of um, extreme rivalry sort of idea start? Because in, in Formula 1 terms, I always think the Prost and Senna rivalry is always referred to because it not only defined its era, it, it changed the sport, because Senna introduced that do-whatever-it-takes-to-win attitude, which we hadn't really seen to the extent that Senna. Senna took it to a new level, and then Schumacher took it on to a the, to the level as well after that. Um, in, in your world, what, where, when did it start? Uh, I mean, Sheen and Barry Sheen and uh, Kenny Roberts had
6: quite a big rivalry, but um, you know they could still go out and have a laugh and, and so on. But, I mean, they didn't really like each other. But, I mean, the first big one would have been... The two Americans, Wayne Rainey and Kevin Schwantz, uh, very different Americans. Wayne Rainey, a very sort of uh, you know, married Californian, lived quite a respectable life. And then Kevin Schwantz this kind of pretty, fairly crazy Texan guy. And, and they had raced each other in the States. And, and they, whenever they raced, it would get very physical. You know, they would be colliding and bouncing off each other. And, and they really properly despised each other. You know, really properly despised each other. But then I, I can remember b- before Valentino Rossi turned up, um, Schwantz, as <laughs> not sure if I should say this really. Um, that means he, he
0: definitely should. <laughs> <laughs> he,
6: uh, he he had a also had a strong r- rivalry with this other American rider called John Kaczynski. and um, he let it known quietly throughout the paddock that he would. <laughs> uh, give $10,000 to anyone who would sleep with Kaczynski's girlfriend or who could sleep with... Ken- so, you know, you get all these really kind of fairly unpleasant things going on in, in the background that you don't always see. You know, they're not generally talking about on the tele- TV commentary. So, yeah, and, and Rossi is is the king of it. But I, I I kind of think he's met his match with Lorenzo and Marquez. You know, they're both... Two guys that he can 't break psychologically they 're just unbreakable psychologically, and they 're pretty difficult to break on the racetrack as well.
5: Rivalry, uh happens outside the race car as well. Um, when I first drove for BRM in69 uh, my teammate was John Surtees, who uh, was much more successful and much more senior than I um, and the first practice at the practice session has just gone for ages and Days all, all day Thursday not like they do now uh, so when it came to uh, the Saturday practice uh, my first experience of seniority in the team was from John and there were three or four cars in the garage and John was talking to the engineers and I, he says I want that chassis and that engine and that gearbox in that car and I thought right <laughs> okay." and of course uh, that rivalry uh, exists today Uh, before you even get to the racetrack, and it's called contracts. And you've seen some examples of uh, senior drivers having the right for updates, um, the use of the spare car, uh, so on and so forth. Um, And the difficulty with that, and you see that in some cases, where a young guy comes in, like Verstappen, for example, if he's under a, uh, a contract as a junior driver and ends up being quicker, How do you break that contract terms? And of course, uh, Schumacher was a past master at that with some drivers. So it doesn't just extend to behind the steering wheel, it uh, extends to uh, contract stage.
0: Okay, I think, because you've got some tea and cake in front of you, that it's a good time to get you to, uh, now with a mouthful, ask some questions. <laughs> That's perfect, isn't it? We have got a microphone. Has anyone got a question just on the tip of their tongue that they would like to ask? Ah, the gentleman here with the amazing tie. Um, we're going to get a microphone to you. Stay there, it's absolutely fine. Unless, of course, you wanted to sit on anyone's lap.
5: I'm from Australia, and I'm Uh-oh. absolutely delighted to be here. My first question is to you, Derek. Have you been? Did you race at Bathurst? Yep. And what were your thoughts on Bathurst? Um, My second question to you is Tom. Have you, have you been a Bathurst, Darren? No. Tom, I watched you racing at Goodwood in the Galaxy. What were your thoughts on that compared to sports cars?
1: You want me to talk first? Because my memory's short, I forget what the question was. Um, well, I forget what it was too. But He yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. didn't no. say it was no. a bath time yet. Bathurst, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I raced there three times. I, I drove for Brian Foley, was first in my class in an Alpha the first time on that amazing track, and went back again and drove for Ron Hodgson in a Torana and crashed with Dita Cuesta, uh, with my fault totally, up on the mountain. And the third time I went and finished second in a Mazda for Tom Walkinshaw, second overall. So I had a great time there, and it's great track, love it, and love the enthusiasm, and it was great because it was just one major race, there wasn't a championship, so you just went and had a damn good time, drove as well as you could. But when you actually relate it to modern day, I mean, I'm sure all of us sitting up here have often gone to racetracks, first time we ever sat in the car, drive it, and go out and race it, and that's how we do it, whereas in... Some of the you know the major teams these days you get in it for ages beforehand get to lots of practice time to get to know the car which you probably have to with modern technology but at the end of the day all you do really is turn the key and drive the bloody thing you know but um, I, di- I did I loved Australia. Yeah. What,
5: are your
2: thought- what are your thoughts on our uh, touring car championship we have there now with well, the uh, the Holdens yeah. well, and the Fords yeah.
1: well, and well all, all I, rem- I, I I follow it if I see it. Um, uh, you know it sounds logical but um, and I don't go out of my way to see the races because there's so much on racing on TV but I, I, mean, I love it I think it's incredible I think it's great that you have touring cars if that's the right word as your number one formula it seems in the whole country and the whole country behind it and you've got the manufacturers battling Ford versus General Motors the whole way through and I think it's wonderful the way it's sat there since the day I was there racing for Holden myself so I think it's great stuff you've got some great names and the racing is very tough and the tracks aren't terribly clinical, they look pretty, they're pretty open and let's have a go sort of thing. I think it's great racing. You, have you done that, Darren? Did you go and no, do I've
3: Bathurst? You yeah, must have not been. been to, I did the Gold Coast race twice so uh, with Holden, so, um, so that was an amazing experience to go down there and just uh, heard so much about the championship and the cars and, uh, and then to go down there and do the, the invitation race was, was a great experience. Difficult cars.
6: I did uh, Bathurst on bikes many years ago. <laughs> did you?
3: <laughs> and, you know, Conrad, this is before Col- the chicane. Yeah, Conrad Strait. On yeah.
6: Conrad Strait, and it's uh, a yeah. uh, switchback. Yeah. And as you're going faster, you're, you're pulling the front wheel up over each of the crests, and the last one was just before you break into yeah, the left-hander yeah. at the bottom. I'm sure, yeah. And uh, you're in sixth gear, and it's such a, a brow that you come over and it just lifts the front wheel right up, and then so you're going on about 170 miles an hour with the front wheel up here. And... Uh, Eventually, they kindly put a flagpole on the brow (laughs) with a flag flying so you could tell which way the wind was blowing <laughs> as you went over there, so you know which you knew which way to hang off as you went over the crest. So,
1: yeah, it was a wonderful circuit on yeah, a bike. Yeah, wonderful, Pretty yes. scary on a bike, up the hill. Yeah, I'm but, sure it was, yeah. 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 yeah, through that. Well, I, I went off at the dipper, which is that right-hand downhill yeah. thing, where, like, you drop, you, I mean, if you literally take the apex, you sort of, the front wheels come off the road <laughs> until they yeah, sort yeah. of get, yeah. get over the apex down to yeah. the exit, and that's where I went straight in, of course. Kind of like the Australian corkscrew, really, wasn't yeah, it? Like that's you, right, Yes, yeah, but tight, yeah. really tight, yeah.
0: Tom say so the question about goodwood. Galaxy. Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean uh, I, I I to be invited from lord marsh and the team to goodwood when I was still active uh, some years ago it took me by it was overwhelming I mean to to see that the the whole I mean I guess probably the whole public here have been there, but when I came the first time, it was absolutely fantastic. The year when I drove the Red Galaxy with Michael Steele was, was, was absolutely wonderful, and uh, he promised me it's not going to run out of brakes, even though that I felt in practice that already after four or five laps that it was going to do it, but the, the, the grunt the car had and tried to get to the lead... And uh, and then just make sure to put it enough sideways on the narrow Goodwood that you just hear the cars behind the, the Alpha. Uh or MINI, or BMW, or whatever, uh, that they are going behind and have to live for me. Woop, and I'm just sideways. And then on the straight, you go again. That was uh, was wonderful, and when you are at Goodwood, you feel a little bit, I mean, I've had great fights with, uh, with, with, with Derek, with, with Jaggy there, and even with Darren. I remember when you drove the MINI, and I was in a Cortina. It's wonderful uh, to be there, and you feel a little bit like you were born a little bit too late uh, when you look bad at, at, at racing those days. And I love the, the whole spirit of, of, of Goodwood. So I'm, I hope I will enjoy a little bit more now after I'm retired as well to go to that wonderful event.
0: Um, Anthony Jenkins has been in touch and he says Indy versus F1. Uh, you all had success in various forms of circuit racing. Why haven't you ever tried or considered the Indy 500? Uh, TK, was the Indy 500 ever flagged up to you to do?
2: Um, no, I was uh, uh, for two years. I was trying to get into uh, IndyCar. Uh, it, it was uh, a terrible first time. I visited was Toronto in probably 1996 or something. I was still driving in Japan, and uh, we lost uh, Jeff Krosnov, a great friend from Japan, at that very race. Uh, and I was there with my pregnant wife. That was uh, that was not a, a good help uh, at that point. Uh, I later tested for Bettenhausen. We were Jörg Müller, Magnisch and Patrick Carponche. We had a day each at Sebring. It was a wonderful experience where we had a, a day, six brand new tires and testing, and everything went very, really well. But the team went with the, with the money as they obviously sometimes have. So Alio Max came in and Carponche uh, drove a, a, a good career in IndyCar. But I have nothing of uh, any... Uh, I mean, it was great doing that, and uh, with, uh, with with not doing that, I mean, I ended up at Audi, and I have never been uh, at a, any place better. So, no regrets at all, but it's nice to have tried it all, and it has all been on my sort of um, idea of going.
0: Jackie?
5: Well, I, I got invited to uh, go to Indy in 71 by a team uh, to look at it uh, with the opportunity. And uh, all the oval, high-speed ovals. And uh, I used to have a lot of accidents uh, as a race driver in the early years. And I looked at that and I thought, well, if I have an accident here, it's going to be 200 miles an hour. So I changed my mind, but I ended up doing NASCAR instead. And it was safer because you had a big tin thing around you. Um, so I um, kept on turning left.
1: I wasn't very good at that either. <laughs> Derek? I, I obviously, I did a bit of single seaters before it, but I was in, at the beginning of the era with the 917 and the Mirage. Um, uh, I got a call, or actually, it was Johnny Rutherford asked me to drive in the team? Um, I would. Uh, yeah, what was the guy's name? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was going to drive in the same. Uh, anyway, I was going to drive an Indy car, but the trouble was that the, the whole of May you have to go, you know, to, to stay at uh, to Indy. And in, in the month of May, I was with Ollie, we were doing the, uh, you know, the sports car races at Spa and Nürburgring. So obviously couldn't, you know, a quarter of the races we did for Porsche were going to be in the month that we we're going to be at May. Uh, you know, the month of May, we driving at Indy, so I didn't go. It would have been an amazing experience, because I always liked fast corners, but um, I didn't do it. And I, I don't regret it, of course, because I had a great time with Porsche. Thank you very much. But.
0: I think we all should say congratulations and our hats to Alexander Rossi, uh, who won the Indy 500 the first time of trying this weekend, and uh, he's a top guy, so well done to him. Um, you didn't realise?
1: Well, Nothing in the bloody papers. Has anybody well, seen that's the results very in the papers? True.
2: That's like media's fault again. Media oh, sorry.
0: <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> that's
2: the one
1: thing. That's the big difference between Formula 1 and IndyCar. Formula 1 has become so big because of the media and because of the show, that nothing else takes, really gets any, any message, any, you know, any time in the, in the magazines as such, apart from the motor, the motor magazine, that the newspapers don't cover it. And of course, India's lost its way, or had lost its way big time, in that uh, you know, they split it up, and two big heads trying to make their own organisations work. And meanwhile, the, the internal bits crumble. And uh, of course, you know, Formula One has always kept going with Uncle Bernie at the top somehow, doing such an amazing job, whatever. And he's still there. And, of course, IndyCar has suffered. So, I mean, there's just nothing in the press. I read, read the paper every day, and there was nothing about it. I didn't know who'd won. I knew somebody... My wife said to me, she said, oh, she's somebody that never won it before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Until somebody says, I have to stop, I'll just keep on going. Question over here. Can we get the microphone across? Wait one second. We want to hear your voice.
5: Could I ask Jackie Oliver, within these walls, uh, what you made of the result of the Monaco Grand Prix?
0: Oh, controversial.
5: I'm a great fan of Ricardo uh, because he's an Aussie and he gets the job done. Um, If you listen to his interview afterwards, uh, he felt like he had been robbed. And he probably was um, uh, because the team uh, messed up. Um, I'm really happy for Lewis because... He's a British driver. He gets the job done. I like his racing style. Not always the most favourite. And it, uh, as in the world sometimes, he was very unlucky. Lots of things went wrong for him. So he deserved to win and what a better one to win it! Yeah.
0: Can I just ask everybody, one word answer and we'll start with Damien at the end. Um, was Nico Rosberg right to move aside when he got the call and let Lewis Hamilton passed?
4: Yes, because... Even though it is an individual sport, uh, it's a team sport because they put so much money into it and it's about... They are, they're driving for Mercedes. He had to do that. And uh, I don't think it necessarily will... Uh, sorry, it's not one word, is it? I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's OK. You
0: can keep on going. Now,
4: I, think, I think in that, in that scenario, um, it would be interesting to put it the other way around and see if Lewis would have been quite so ready... No, to move over um, exactly. Sorry, so um, but that's that's I think that's the difference between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, and it's probably what makes Lewis Hamilton that little bit more special and has the edge that he's um, he's petulant, he's very difficult, um, he's a real challenge for his team, um, but that's part of what makes him brilliant. Moving along. Uh, well, I know what, because uh, I talked to the guys, and
5: so I knew what the problem was. They couldn't get his tyre temperatures up. That was the whole problem the whole weekend. And uh, those tyres, those Pirelli tyres, guys, I mean, in Formula One, it's not good, is it? I mean, it no. is very difficult.
0: I got the stats through this morning, actually, uh, from Pirelli for the weekend. Um, I won't bore you with it all, but basically, the ultra soft, the super soft, Uh, and the soft tyre all did exactly the same lap time and lasted for exactly the same duration. Well done, Pirelli. (laughs) There's no one from Pirelli here, is there? Otherwise, they're going to be in big trouble. (laughs) Michelin? Okay. Um, It would be nice to have a bit of a tyre war as well, but that's just me. Uh, Let's go.
6: I didn't even know.
0: (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Bikes are good, though. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. It, you, your boss is your boss, isn't it? And uh, Mercedes is their boss, so if they say do something, you, you do it. That's how I feel. It's, it's, you know, you're know you only there because someone has the, the team has the faith that you're going to do a good job for them. They're the guys that pay your bills. Um, so as much as you don't want to move over to let your teammate pass in that situation, you have to respect the fact that there's 500, 600 people back at the workshop uh, supporting what you're doing and trying to win the championship. So if, someone, if the boss man says move over, you move over.
2: Tom, would you have moved? Uh, yes, in the respect... I mean, I couldn't give a better answer than, than Darren says there. And actually, it just means that practice makes better because in Barcelona, when Rosberg moved to the right to let Luis pass on the left, it didn't work. And this time, he would then move to the other side and, and it worked.
0: <laughs> Lovely. Terrific. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think definitely yes, he did. He did the right thing, you know. You know, he acknowledged it. But the fact was, he had been out there a while, and he knew that the car wasn't quick, and he knew he was holding people up. And eventually, you can't be that thick-skinned that you can't let the other guys go by. I mean, Lewis was he actually leading at that point, Lewis? Because I no, didn't see any He was saying of... so. He was second, so and in other words, he was, was going to go after the lead, so he wasn't necessarily going to win the race. But it's damn obvious he was quicker than uh, than Rosberg.
0: Uh, Another couple of questions? Over there. We're just making you run from side to side. We thought you needed to get fit. That's not running. I thought it might spur him on. It didn't (laughs) seem to do that.
1: I have a question for Matt and a question for Jackie. Uh, The question for Matt is, do you feel that there's a more human element to motorcycle riders at the top level than perhaps you see in Formula One? Do you feel that there's a little bit more... Uh, dynamicism to the riders we see a bit more of their emotions and to Jackie when you were in charge of Arrows how did you deal with inter-team rivalries between two of your drivers
6: I think uh, the, we probably do see a bit of, <clears throat> more of a rider's true nature in bikes but it's it's purely a factor of sponsor money basically <laughs> uh, sponsor pressure media pressure uh, all these things Come upon the sportsman, whatever sport he's in, and you know you you know the more money is involved, the more media is involved, the more you have to mind your p's and q's. And um, Formula One is many many times bigger than MotoGP, so I think that's the way the way it is. But I mean, in MotoGP, we we always talk about how it isn't how it used to be. You know that that the, used to be, you know, blowing up the toilets in the paddock when they didn't like them and things like that. You know, so. And again, that's a factor of, yeah, they could do whatever they liked back in those days and, and, and nobody would care now, as we've already talked about. Um, you know, even in MotoGP, they're, they're, not as, they're not as happy to shoot off their mouths as they were. So I think it's just a factor of, uh, yeah, it's all our fault. The media's again, basically, yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry again.
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a very difficult thing to do. Uh, I wasn't very good at it when I started the team. Uh, back in the 70s, but you have to be very careful. you de- don't demotivate people, and uh, and I think uh, the skills now in Formula One with regard to that are much better. I, I couldn't help noticing when listening to the interview with uh, Toto Wolff over switching the engineers uh, between one uh, driver and the other. Um, I mean, I wish I thought of that in the earlier days. I mean, it's exactly the sort of thing you should do. Because what you want to do is you want the team to work to win no matter who's driving the car. And when you stick a chief engineer with one driver over a long period of time, uh, like Massa has with uh, his guy, uh, that can get in the way. And I thought that was very well handled.
0: Or a big conspiracy, depending on how you look at it. Um, (laughs) I only said it. Conspiracies don't exist within motorsport anyway, do they? No, you know (laughs) <laughs> um, right, have we, got time for, have we got time for one more question? Have we got one more question? Gentleman over here.
5: I'd like to um, direct my question to Derek and to Jackie in relation to the Tasman series. I was at Sandown Park in 68 um, for the, the Melbourne round at Sandown Park and I've read a book by um, David Mackay that um, he used to loan his Ferrari to Graham Hill to go and do practice at Warwick Farm in his privately entered Ferrari. Um, Is it true that the New Zealand drivers and the Australian drivers used to really look after and be very friendly and hospitable to the Europeans at the Tasman series?
0: Jackie, you want to start? Well, I, I,
5: sadly, I never did the Tasman series. I did the Temporada series in Argentina, so I missed out on that wonderful uh, uh, environment and uh, you know, Colin sent me there with the Lotus Formula 2 car and I think Graham went off uh, to Tasman, so I have no experience of that, unfortunately.
0: Right, yeah. But Derek does.
1: Well, he knows I did because he saw a race in Melbourne. But, yeah, I did the Tasman Series two years, basically. But the first year for Ferrari with Chris Amon, we had two cars. Graham Hill, Jochen Rint, Piers Courage, running for Frank Williams. And, of course, you know, the wonderful New Zealand-Australian drivers, including Frank Gardner, Frank Matic and people like that. But it was great race. I mean, just fun. And we were going to your real question was we really were looked after. We had so much hospitality. It actually got... We didn't have any time to ourselves because we were so busy trying to placate and make everybody happy because obviously they would paid a lot of money to get all the cars, or the drivers, there were only five of us over, but they paid a lot of money out and all the accommodation was paid for by somebody and we were very grateful for it but we actually didn't get any free time because we were at schools and hospitals and all sorts of things all the time visiting people. It was great PR for everybody, we loved it and I would of course done it again which I did the second time, second year.
0: Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you so much to our panel. uh, Damien Smith, uh, Tom Christensen, Derek Bell, Darren Turner, Matt Oxley and Jackie Oliver. Um, We shall reconvene very shortly. Well, not very shortly, but shortly. Um, And we would invite you to come down and have a look at some of the beautiful vehicles. I will guarantee you... That over the next half an hour while you're eating, the sun will come out dramatically and we shall watch some beautiful demonstrations of vehicles going up the hill and back down again. I might have just lied. Um, But enjoy the rest of your tea and please put your hands together for everybody here on the panel. Thank you very much.
6: Don't forget that over the past six months, motorsport has been delving into an audio archive. Back in the late 1970s and early 1980s, Rob Widow's recorded a radio show called Track Talk on Radio Victory. He interviewed the likes of Bernie Eccleston, Nelson Piquet, Derek Bell, John Surtees, Sterling Moss, and even motorsport's Dennis Jenkinson. We've digitised all of the Track Talk tapes, and these are available through shop.motorsportmagazine.com. I can't recommend these highly enough. They're amazing windows, Into the Past for only £1.99 per download.